and I just couldn't fit it all in over and over again. So if you don't have your Bible, uh, just put out your hands and then uh, you can grab a Bible from the back. Anybody need a Bible? Don't feel shy, just put your hand. Okay, somewhere at the front, anybody else? Okay, it's very important to have it in front of you so you can follow what's happening. Okay, anybody else? Okay, if not, uh, just uh, look over the shoulder of your neighbor. I'm sure they won't mind if you're looking onto their Bible. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, truly we pray that your word, uh, which is so meaningful and so profound, will be revealed and unpacked and opened for us. And uh, that only happens through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We pray that we may look at it seriously, sincerely, and to take away any distraction that will uh, cause us to... uh, drift off and not really follow what your word is saying. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, now, I'm a big fan of going to the library uh, because obviously it's a lot cheaper than going to the bookshop. Uh, but I'm one of those old people who actually still uh, reads books and not uh, uh, your Kindle or your, uh, your iPad. So I often go to a Queenstown library. Now, according to the plaque in front of Queenstown library, it's supposed to be one of the oldest uh, library buildings in the whole of Singapore uh, after the National Library has been knocked down. And uh, it's actually it's a very small library. It's only really got two stories of, uh, of books. But surprisingly, on the, on the top story, uh, most of the shelves of this library are filled with self-help and self-improvement books. Now, why is that? Is it because the people of Queenstown need a lot of self-help and improvement? Well, I'm not really sure, but I find myself there quite a lot. Maybe I, I need a lot of improvement myself. But as uh, you go to this section of uh, self-help and self-improvement section in the library... Really, there are only three categories uh, of books which are there. One deals with relationships, right? you know, family, uh, marriage, children, friends. Uh, another section deals with you know, your direction in life, how to meet your target and goals. And there's a very big section on health, because all of us want to be healthy, right? You know, physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. So as uh, we look at this section, and as we reflect on the book of Proverbs, the question is, does the book of Proverbs or does God's wisdom actually teach us anything about how to live in this world in terms of benefits for today, the earthly life, in the short term, in relationships, direction and health? Because last week when we looked at chapter 2, it said that there were many benefits to Proverbs, but it seems like it was more of a long-term benefit. In terms of last week, we saw that when you follow the way of Proverbs, you have a relationship with God. And as you have a relationship with God, you get more wisdom and God guides you on His way. And as He guides you on His way, uh, we bring, it comes uh, to us a second benefit. It, it, it keeps us from evil. The evil of the wicked person and the evil of the sexual predator. But as you look at uh, Proverbs chapter 2, you, you might sort of ask yourself, well, is God really interested in everyday life? Do I get any benefits from following Proverbs in everyday life? Is it just about ethical living, moral living? Is it just the Christian spiritual life that God's word is going to actually bring benefits for in my life? And I think that's what Proverbs chapter 3 is all about. Because Proverbs chapter 3 develops on what we learned in Proverbs chapter 2. And it shows us that there is more benefits to following wisdom. So if you look at, my, uh, if you look at your Bible, I don't know uh, if, uh, what your Bible says, but my Bible, the, the subheading says, Further Benefits of Wisdom. So what are those further benefits of wisdom? Well, seems to concern a lot in terms of what happens today, the now, this life. So follow with me, if you have your Bibles, in verse 1 to 12. And uh, I hope you pay attention because there's a, there's a pattern that's just going to come out, and I hope you can see it here as I read it to you. 
In verse 1 it says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord of all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's wisdom and do not resent His rebuke because the Lord disciplines those He loves and as a father, the son He delights in. Now I hope that as I was reading that, you'll notice there's actually a pattern in this section from verse 1 to 12. Uh, It's all about uh, following the way of wisdom, but then there are benefits. But you notice the benefits are not eternal benefits, but in the here and now. In fact, for those of you who have sharp eyes, you'll notice that in the odd verses, okay, odd means 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, right? You get the picture, okay? On the odd verses, there is the way of wisdom. But then if you look in your Bible, in the even verses, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, right? It shows the benefit of this way of living. You see, look at what it says there, right? In verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching and keep my commands in your heart, verse 1. Then verse 2, For they will prolong your life and many years and bring you prosperity. And this is the pattern that we find here in the first section of chapter 3. It's almost like watching an advertisement, you know, when you watch uh, Barclays uh, Premier League Soccer, for those of you who do, after you watch uh, one game of Premier League Soccer, you, you realize that you, you should bank with Barclays Bank, you should drink Tiger Beer and eat McDonald's, right? Because it just keeps bombarding you over and over again with Barclays Bank, uh, you know, uh, McDonald's and, and Tiger Beer. And in a way, verse 1 to 12 here is almost the same. You get the first verse, which is telling you how to live in wisdom. Then you have the second verse, the even verse, which tells you why, the, the benefit of living in wisdom. So let's look at the odd verses first and see how we should live in wisdom and then what that will result in when we come to the even verses. Okay, so let's look at the odd verses first. One, three, five onwards. Okay? So how do we live as wise people? Okay, we, we've got the general application already. And what's the general application? We must fear the Lord. Okay, I hope you remember that because that's the main theme of what we've been preaching on the last few weeks. And that's what we learned in chapter 1 and chapter 9. The beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. But what does that look like? What, how, does that, how is that fleshed out in the way that we live in wisdom? Well, verse 1 says, Do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. Now, if you think about it, exactly what does that mean? Well, when people say do not forget something, what do they really mean? It means remember, right? Okay, I, I remember my, my mom kept telling me, do not forget right, to turn off the lights. What does she actually mean? She means remember to keep, turn off the lights, right? She doesn't mean just do not forget it and just do nothing. Right? So this do not forget means remember my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. So here it's, it's the idea of intellectual, right? It's, it's the idea of absorbing knowledge and keeping it. But what does it mean to keep the commands and the teachings of the, the, the person instructing us? Is it just to keep Proverbs chapter 1 to 31? 
I don't think so actually. And some commentators have said that if you were a Jew, this word command actually means something. If you were a Jew living in God's promised land, the word command here usually means the law of God. That's what commands mean in the Old Testament. So if you look up here on the slide, right, in Genesis chapter 26 and in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, the word command is the same word... Oh, sorry. Nothing, is it? Oh. Uh, okay. I'll read it for you. Genesis chapter 26. You can listen to me. Verse 4. Okay, commands. This is the same word that's being used here in Proverbs chapter 3. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my my requirements, my commands, my decrees and my laws. Genesis chapter 26 verse 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 10 it says, you will again obey the Lord and follow all His commands. Same word, I'm giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as He delighted in your, in your fathers as you obey the Lord and keep His commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law. And turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. So here, when you look at Proverbs chapter 3 verse 1, when it says, My son, do not forget my teaching and keep my commands in your heart, he's not just saying, read Proverbs chapter 1 to 31 and follow that. He means all of God's commands, all of God's teachings. Okay, listen to God, follow it. That is the wise way. But in verse 3, right, we go from the first odd verse to the next one, it's not just head knowledge, right? It's not just head knowledge. It's not just following rules and regulations. In verse 3 it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. You see, it's not just about having knowledge and obeying them in a very reluctant, rebellious way. So, ah, oh, yeah, God told me to do this. Okay, ah, better do it, right? It's like, you know, sometimes, I, I shouldn't keep talking like a parent, right? But, you know, so sometimes, you know, you tell your children to do something, right? You know, and then they, they shuffle their feet, you know, they are grumbling, they're shaking their head. No, that's not what God wants, right? God doesn't say, okay, keep these commands and just do it in a very reluctant, rebellious way. But He says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Now this word here, love and faithfulness, are not everyday words, right? The word here, faithfulness, is actually the word hesed. Uh, it's a Greek, sorry, it's, it's a Hebrew word, which means covenant love, which, which talks about unfailing love and absolute faithfulness. And, and that's why we are, to, we are to actually show God the same love that He shows us. We're supposed to show God the same love that He showed us, which is, Covenant love, love and faithfulness. Now, again, for those of you who've got your Bible, see, that's why it's always good to have your Bibles because you can't trust technology, you know, sometimes it breaks down. <laughs> right? Okay, if you look at Exodus chapter 34, this is the way God is described. Exodus 34, verse 6. Right? This is how God's character is, is revealed to mankind. 
Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood before Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. So, God shows love and faithfulness to his people in the same way we show him back that same love and faithfulness that he showed us. It's a reciprocal uh, sort of love and faithfulness. So, okay, the first thing is the wise way is not just obeying God's commands in your head, but it's actually having love and faithfulness back to God. Now, I could stop there and we could apply that for the rest of the sermon, right? Do you really love God? And are you really absolutely faithful back to Him the same way that He loves you? Okay, that's the wise way of living. That's the way that we should live. But that's not all there is, right? Because there are many, many odd verses. So verse 1 was, keep the commands. Verse 3 was love and faithfulness. Verse 5 is one of the most famous verses. You can see it in the many schools. In my son's school, is written on huge you know, letters up on the wall. It says there in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I think I've even got that in front of my computer. Someone gave me this little, like, this thing that stands in a, on its tripod thing. right? Now, there are two instructions here basically. One not negative, one positive, but it's the same thing, right? The, the positive thing is trust in the Lord with all your heart. The negative thing is Lean not on your own understanding. It's parallel to verse 7, right? Verse 7 sort of says the same thing. Uh, sorry, verse 6 also says the same thing. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Right? Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. See how there's, a, there's also a parallel within there? Trust in the Lord of all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. The negative, lean not on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Now, what God is saying here is not that we throw away our brain when we become a Christian, that we uh, put aside our intelligence, that we do not use uh, what God has given us. The emphasis here is not lean not on understanding. Okay? Many, some people read this verse and they forget. They say, oh, lean not on understanding. Okay, that means let go and let God. Okay, now, that's not right. That's not what this passage is saying. What is being emphasized here is lean not on your own understanding. Right? Do not be wise in your own eyes. That is what the contrast is. Because what God is saying is, we must listen and obey God in all our ways and lean not on our own understanding. We must not be like Frank Sinatra, right? who sang, I did it my way. Okay? We must do it God's way. And I think that uh, this is something that is going to be very difficult for all of us. Uh, I think that for many of us, we are happy to follow God's ways in some of His ways, but not all of His ways. We do not acknowledge God in all His ways. I remember, uh, okay, this is my own life. I'll tell you my own flaws, right? I mean, I remember when I was a young Christian, I used to say to God, okay, God, I will obey you in these areas, okay? But in this area of life, I've decided that uh, I will do things my way, but, but you know, I'll make up for it by being better in the other ways. Have you ever done that yourself? Maybe, maybe it's just me, right? But I used to do that. I say, okay, God, you know, I'll be extra good in these areas, but you know, in this area, I'll fudge a bit. Okay, so it's a bit like, you know, when you study for exams, okay, as long as I get A's here, but then, you know, I can compensate for this one, okay? 
Is it, but that's not what God says here, isn't it? God says here, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Is that something that you do? Uh, is, that, is that something where you acknowledge Him in everything you do, in all of life? Because that is the wise way of living. If you have an attitude of love and faithfulness to God in your heart, then everything in your life must be lived out acknowledging Him. And that's why in verse 11 and 12, we have this really strange uh, set of verse. It says in verse 11 and 12, My son, <clears throat> do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves as a father the son He delights in. Now, as you read this verse, uh, for those of you who are paying attention, you sort of think, what is God's discipline? What is His rebuke? So many people think, oh, is it because when I get a stomach ache, God is rebuking me for eating too much laksa last night? Or, or is it because um, uh, my knee hurts, God is rebuking me for uh, over-exercising? Right? I don't think so. Because in this verse, the context very specifically ref- looks back to God's word, to God's instructions. So what it means here, I'm pretty convinced, is that when God is disciplined and rebuking us, He's rebuking us through His word. If you look at the passage, that's what He's saying, right? If you're leaning on your own understanding, if you're not acknowledging Him, if you look at God's word, or maybe someone tells you, you go to a Bible study, or you hear a sermon, or you read a book, or you open God's word for your daily bread, it rebukes and disciplines you and tells you that you are living the wrong way. It is telling you that you need to change. But I think the problem for many of us is uh, we, we, de- we despise God's uh, discipline. We, we don't like being rebuked by it. That, that's why verse 11 is there. Because the people of God's time back in Israel, just like today, are exactly the same. Uh, we, we don't like people telling us what to do. I've had people tell, us, tell me, you know, why should God tell me how I should live? Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever feel like, why, why should God tell me how I should spend my money? Or how I should spend my time? Or who I should go out with? Or what I should or shouldn't do? I mean, isn't that how we feel? But then, if we are to acknowledge God in all our ways, God will discipline, God will rebuke us. Because each of us have this rebelliousness in us. This old flesh that the New Testament talks about that wants to break free of God's authority and control in our life. Now, as we look on the passage, it goes on to say, uh, in verse 7, right? Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. Okay, so that's the antidote, isn't it? That's the antidote to that proud, rebellious spirit that we have. To fear the Lord and shun evil. See, following the wise way of living encompasses just not our minds, right? Keeping God's command, not just our hearts, love and faithfulness, not just acknowledging all of God in our life, but also means fearing God and shunning evil. And here, for the very first time, I think, we get an idea of why we should fear God. We should fear God because He judges and hates evil. There is the idea where uh, God 
detests evil, as we will see later on. He, he destroys sin, and that's why we should fear him. Now, as we put that composite picture of the wise life in front of us, uh, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, uh, do, we, do we live life like this? Do we keep God's commands and His teachings? Do we respond to God with love and absolute faithfulness? Do we acknowledge God in all our ways? Do we trust in Him in everything that we do? Uh, do we fear Him and shun evil? Because that is the wise way of living. And the even verses then tell us that if we live this way, it is worth it. It is worth it. Why? Because in verse 2, the very first thing it says there is, they will prolong your life many years and will bring you prosperity. When we read that uh, verse, verse 1 and 2, we might feel very uncomfortable, uh, I think. Uh, Especially if we live in an age where there are many prosperity churches which preach the prosperity gospel where they say, oh, you know, if you believe in Jesus, if you do this or do that, you'll be blessed and you become very rich. We, we feel very uncomfortable because we, we don't, somehow it doesn't sound quite right to us, isn't it? Uh, I remember I went to one of the prosperity churches many years ago and they said that it was at the end of the year and they said that as you receive your 13-month bonus, you should give all that bonus to church. And then God will bless you with another year's bonus. Now, I don't know, I felt very uncomfortable uh, when I was listening to that. And I think we naturally feel that, is that really true? Can we believe, uh, verse 2, that if we live a wise way, that God will bless us and make us rich and prosperous? Uh, many of you know my sister who's come to this church before. You know, she's got that problem, she's handicapped. And I remember she told me that she went to a Bible study at one of these prosperity churches and they were giving all these promises uh, for people to get rich, for, for people to get healthy again. And she was asking all these questions uh, because actually for those of you who actually met my sister, she asked a lot of questions, which is good. I think it's good. So anyway, after a while, the Bible study leader maybe got a bit frustrated. He said, ah yeah, don't ask so many questions. I said, we all want to get rich, right? And the rest of the group, yeah, 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 okay, that's good, we agree. Okay, that end of story. But that's not the way we should understand the Bible, right? Because we still apply our minds to God's Word. So how then do we understand the promises in all the even verses? That in verse 2, that they'll prolong our life and we'll get prosperous. Uh, verse 8, that you'll have health to your body and nourishment to your bones. In verse 10, that your barns will be filled to overflowing your vats will bring, brim over with new wine. How do we understand that? A few things that I think we have to think about is, first of all, the context, right, the historical context, tells us that in Proverbs, God is speaking to His people, not living in Singapore, but living in God's promised land many, many hundreds of years ago. Right? It's God's instructions to God's people living in God's land. And it is very specific to those people to begin with. And in the Old Testament, uh, this is where we need to understand the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God had promised His people that if they obeyed Him, He would bless them in the promised land. Now, uh, for those of you who have your Bibles, you need to turn to me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, because this is an extremely important passage to understand 
Proverbs 3, right? Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8 says this, The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hand to. Sounds very familiar, isn't it? To verse 10. Okay? He will bless your barns. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He has given you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people, as He promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. And all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity and the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, and the land He swore to your forefathers to give you. Now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 8 onwards, and you compare it to Proverbs chapter 3, God is faithful to His promises. He is saying that if you live the wise way, if you live this way in God's land, God will bless you. And those blessings are true. Those blessings are true for that time. But today... God's people do not live in the promised land of Israel anymore. If, if you, even, if, even if there is Israel as a nation state today in Palestine, it is not God's promised land. Because with the coming of Jesus, God's promised land is now the new heavens and the new earth. That is where the new promise of the land is. So that's the first thing we have to notice about Proverbs chapter 3. Right? Within the historical context, uh, we don't understand it in exactly the same way. How then do we understand it for us today? Do we just throw it all away and say, ah, it doesn't make sense. We're living the wrong time. Well, it does still apply to us in a, in, a, in a way. And how does it apply to us? Well, the first thing is, when we read Proverbs, we need to distinguish between what is a promise and what is a principle. Okay, between what is a promise and what is a principle. Between what is a guarantee and what is an observation of what is generally true. So look at me uh, to Proverbs chapter 3 again, to verse 31 and 32, because this is a promise. This will always be true 100% of the time. Okay? Do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man and takes, but takes the upright into his confidence. See, this is a promise. This is a guarantee. 10 out of 10 times, 100 out of 100 times, if you're a violent man, God detests you. It doesn't sort of work sort of like, you know, if you're a violent man, some of the time God will detest you, some of the time He likes you. No, it doesn't work that way, right? If you're a violent person, God detests you all the time. But some other proverbs are generally true, they're principles or observations, but they might not be true for you today. It might not be true for you next week or even next year or even your whole life, but it's generally true most of the time. So look at them. Look again in verse 7 and 8. Okay, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Uh, is this true all the time? 10 out of 10 times? 100 out of 100 times? Is this a guarantee? No, it's not necessarily true all the time, right? Uh, there are many very faithful Christians who will die very young. But generally, if you live in a wise way, that God tells you in His Word, it will bring health to you, it will bring nourishment to your body. See, the book of Proverbs is part of the, a greater collection of writings called the wise, the wisdom literature in the Bible. And together with Proverbs, there's Ecclesiastes, there's Job. 
Now, if you read that together, you read Proverbs together, Ecclesiastes and Job, you realize actually we live in a fallen world. And because we live in a fallen world, we live in real life, right? This is not a fantasy world. Generally, if you live in a wise way, good things happen in this life, but sometimes, because we live in a fallen world, bad things will happen. And I like what my theological lecturer said many years ago, and, and I never thought of it until he, he said it in, a, in, a, in a, one of his uh, classes. He said, you know, imagine you're an Israelite living in Israel in God's promised land. You will know that the book of Proverbs also is not true all the time. So imagine if you are living in a time of bad kings. You've got a bad king. Or you're living in a time where God is judging Israel because the people have been rebellious. But you are the one of the few good people who are righteous and obedient and following the way of Proverbs. You will still suffer along with everybody else. So he gave this illustration. Imagine there you are, a good man, righteous person, living away of the book of Proverbs. You are fearing God and shunning evil. And uh, the Assyrian soldier comes, or the Philistine soldier comes, and he knocks at your door. Do you think the Philistine soldier is going to say, excuse me, are you fearing God and shunning evil? Oh, oh, sorry, you are, is it? Oh, my mistake. I'll go and attack the person next door. No, he won't, right? He will still kill you, he'll still rape your wife and, and, and send your children to slavery. Right, because generally, that's because of the time you're living in. So how do we then apply Proverbs today? Well, I think that generally, what this, the Bible is saying is, if you live this way, it is a good life. Because there are blessings. You know, there's no guarantee, but more often than not, there will be blessings to you in this life, and especially in the life to come. See, I can say to you, walking brings fitness. I'm sure you speak to the doctors here. Walking every day brings fitness, right? But then if one day you're walking along the road and a drunk driver knocks you down, didn't bring fitness to you, isn't it? Okay? But that's an exception to the rule. Generally, walking every day will bring you fitness. So in the same way, I think that when you, when you look at the promises in the book of Proverbs, they are true. Okay, I can see it in my own life. I became a Christian very late in my life, probably about 21 or something, and I was a very lousy student. I can tell you, I was. You can ask my wife how lousy I was. Okay, I was always scraping by. And uh, even at university, I, I, I'm very sad to say, I, I had to appeal to get a pass. I got 48%, and I somehow appealed to their mercy. Anyway, then, after I became a Christian, when I studied for my uh, accountancy exams, I never thought I'd pass because, you know, I was such a lousy student, and the failure rate is so high. And I thought, you know, as a Christian, I was going to Bible study one night a week. I, was going, I wasn't studying on the Sabbath. But yeah, when I finally got my results, I was doing better than all my friends who were partying and everything else. Because I was living a wise way, right? I was, I was, I was living what God wanted me to do and I felt that I was more organized in my time. I remember this pastor in Australia who said that there is a criticism that many churches are filled with middle class people. Uh, you know, why are churches filled with middle class people? And this pastor who ministers across a whole range of people was saying that actually in his experience, people who become Christians, they might be poor, but they become middle class. He said that, you know, he's known people who become Christians and they stop smoking, they stop gambling, they stop drinking, they stop womanizing, they have more stable marriages, they care for their families, and after a while, instead of being poor, they become middle class. And I think that's true. Uh, in England, there was this uh, pastor, Jonathan Fletcher, 
who told this story about this alcoholic who became converted. And one of his friends said to him, you really believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And this alcoholic man said, I don't know about that, but I know that God turned my wine into furniture. Right? Because he stopped drinking and then he, he started saving and looked after himself. I know of a, a real story of this white Australian man, Caucasian, who's married to uh, this Chinese person. And the parents of, this, of the wife didn't want to acknowledge this white Australian Caucasian man because they didn't want her to marry this white guy. And they had uh, two other daughters and they married other people and they were very happy. But after a while, many years, they became to regard this white Australian husband as their favourite son-in-law. And why was that? Because over time they recognised that he was the best husband to their wife and the best father to their grandchildren because he lived in a wise way. So time after time after time, all right, in my own experience and experience of other people, I think and I'm convinced that the promises of the Bible are true. If you live in a wise way, you will have relationship success. You will be heading in the right direction. You will have financial success. Um, just recently, even just yesterday, we were talking about this person that we know. And they used to be a Christian and they used to live in the right way. And uh, we were talking about this person and someone said this, he had it all, but then now he's lost it all. Because this person was living as a Christian, doing well, living the wise path, then he decided to be wise in his own eyes, and now he's lost it all. Right? His marriage, his finances, everything. And I'm sure that many of us, if we think about that, you know, about, think about that seriously in, our, in, in the experiences of people around us, we can see people who have lived in the, in the right way, the wise way, and decided to be wise in their own eyes and lost it. Now, the danger here, I think, as we go on, uh, in verse 13 onwards, is that we only pursue wisdom for the sake of relationship success, money success, career success. Because in verse 13 onwards, it sort of tells us that wisdom is even more important than relationship. Wisdom is even more important than um, finances or career success. You see, look at what it says there. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is at her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. To those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Now, we must pursue wisdom and God's way of living for the sake of wisdom itself. If you pursue wisdom because you want to be rich, have lots of relationship success or whatever else, that is not what Proverbs is telling you. It says pursue, pursue wisdom for the sake of wisdom because wisdom itself is more valuable than the most valuable treasure in life. Now, I remember once I spoke to this guy. Uh, he was a university student from overseas, and I said, oh, you know, are you interested in becoming a Christian? So he said, yes, yes, you know, I want to become a Christian. I said, why? You know, is it because you're convinced that uh, you know, you're a sinner, and you need forgiveness, or you're convinced that Jesus died and rose for you? He said, no, I want to get rich. And I said, oh, maybe you come to the wrong place, right? Because 
being a Christian is not about being rich. It's about living the right way because of what Jesus has done for you. But if, it, you know, if God so blesses, then you will have blessing in this way. And sure enough, over time, he stopped coming to church. Why? Because he started learning about the judgment of God, about how you have to uh, love God all your heart and all your soul, about how the treasure in heaven is more important than the treasure on earth. Then he realized, actually, this is not going to work out for me. Because the Bible is very clear that we must pursue wisdom above all all other things. And all these blessings, they will probably flow. But if you pursue all these other things, the career, the riches, and the relationship above wisdom, then you actually, you've lost wisdom. You're not living the wise way. You're living the foolish way. But most of all, look at verse 18, right? Verse 18, because again, there's a progression in verse 16, 17, 18, right? Long life, riches, honor, pleasant path, peace. But then verse 18 says, she is the tree of life. She's the tree of life. Now, this uh, phrase, the tree of life, again, often in the Bible refers to eternal life. In Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter 3, right, we learn there's a tree of life in the Garden of Eden where if you eat of it, you will live forever. In the last book of the Bible, we started our Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. If we look at the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we also learn that there's a tree of life where those who eat of it will live forever and ever. So, when, when the book of Proverbs here talks about long life, riches, honor, pleasant ways, paths of peace, and then the tree of life is actually a progression from the blessings of this life to the life to come. So you may not have long life now, you may not have riches and honor, but at the end of it, there will be the tree of life waiting for those who live in the wise way. Now, verse 27 onwards, right? Uh, it goes on to talk about, again, how we acknowledge God in all the ways that we live. And I think that it's very, very uh, powerful because you may actually find it that it actually affects the way that you're, you're, you're living now. Look at what it says there in verse 27. Do not withhold good for, from those who deserve it when it is your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I will give it to you tomorrow when you have it with you now. Now, we often think of sin in terms of doing bad things to people. I, I, I did this bad. I, I've done this bad. This wrong. I've sinned this way. But if you look at verse 27, actually, by not doing good to people, you have not lived in the wise way. You have not acknowledged God in your ways. You have not trusted God. It is what they call the sin of omission. You, you haven't done something which you should have. So have you committed the sin of omission in your life? Now we always think of money, right? I didn't give money. But it's not about money. Did you love your neighbor, basically, according to the New Testament? Did you love your neighbor? That's what it says there. Reflect on the words of verse 27, 28. You have the power to do good, but you, you don't. You say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow. Tomorrow, then I'll help you. That's a sin of, uh, of omission. You, you've not done something which you should have done. Again, uh, for myself, I think I gave this illustration a long time ago. I was eating chicken rice on Ballester Road, opposite the Catholic Church there. It's a very good chicken rice place there. And uh, for those of you who have ever eaten there, you know it's right next to this big bus stop, right? And uh, so I was eating there, and it was night time. Very crowded, this uh, chicken rice shop. And um, this blind man started shouting at the bus stop, 
in Chinese, which I won't repeat, right? Help me, help me. What, the, what is the bus number? What is the bus number that's coming, right? Because obviously he can't see. So then he was shouting for a while and I thought, I should go up and help him. But then the person I was sitting with said to me, ah, yeah, don't catch out, somebody else will help him. So I, I, I did, you know, I was going to, then I didn't too. Then finally, I was very uh, encouraged to see some schoolboy in a school uniform came to help this blind man. And I felt really bad about it after, after the whole incident. You know? And I was thinking to myself, why didn't I go and help this blind man? And I felt it was because I was worried about what the people I was sitting with would think. Because I didn't trust God enough, you see? I didn't come back to verse 5. I didn't trust God with all my heart. I was more worried about what the people around me would think. I wonder whether you're like that. I wonder whether you are a good neighbor. Uh, in many of the commentaries, it compares this uh, principle to the, to the parable of the Good Samaritan in the New Testament. You remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Here's this guy, he's bleeding. And this very religious Pharisee sees him, crosses to the other side of the road and avoids him. Are we like that? We're very religious. But we don't actually love and do good to our neighbor. Um, one of the most touching things that someone had done for me was when in my last year of theological college, I, I had no car. We sold our car because we were coming back to Singapore. And we wanted to, we needed a car for uh, a trip. And this stranger in the church that we went to, this Australian couple, very old couple, said, oh, one day they came up to us and said, oh, we want to lend you our son's car. And uh, no problem, just keep it, you know, for a couple of weeks. It was, a, it was the oldest car the small, no, no car like this ever, you ever see in the road in Singapore. It was a Mazda 121, right? You know how small that car is. And it had no, no air conditioning. Can you imagine no, a car, no air conditioning, and no electric windows? And, you know, it's like really hard. You, like really, you need big arms to wind out the window, right? But we were really touched because we didn't know these people all. And they still lent us their son's car. So I wonder, you know, I was really touched by it and thought, that's the way it should be, isn't it? We should be able to do good to people and to, to help them was in our capability. In verse 29 to 30, again, how do we acknowledge God in all our ways? Do not plot harm against your neighbor who lives trustfully near you. Do not accuse a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. So again, I wonder whether we, we, we say bad things about people who've done no harm to us. Or maybe we couldn't get our way or we felt frustrated so we've said things that really we shouldn't have said. Maybe we said things about our colleagues or our bosses or other people that I, I know that didn't mean us any harm. Um, like last week we were at the funeral and there was a eulogy and I was thinking, when people reflect on our lives after we die, will they, will they say, oh, you know, this person, yeah, he, he, he or she said a lot of bad things to a lot of people which were not true. And I think that that's really sad if that's true because that's not the wise way of living. And last up, in verse 31, 32, again, how do we relate to others in the way that we live? Well, as he said, do not envy a violent man or choose any of his ways. For the Lord detests a perverse man, but the upright, he takes the upright into his confidence. Again, uh, there is acknowledgement here in verse 31, 32 that is, is living the real world because why would people envy the violent man? Uh, usually, you envy someone because they have something you want. And I think the violent person, uh, they can be rich because they bully their way or they, uh, you know, they, they somehow put, push their weight around to get the things that they get in life. I'm sure we've met people like that. So in uh, Proverbs chapter 11, it says that a kind-hearted woman gains respect, but the ruthless man gains only wealth. So we, we've known people like that, ruthless people, right? bullies, people who uh, 
by threats and intimidation will get what they want. And we can, be, we can look at them and think, why can't we be like that? In Psalm chapter 73, which is the next slide, right, um, the psalmist actually reflects and I think speaks very close to our heart on how we might feel when we see uh, rich people who are violent or ruthless. But as for me, my feet almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace and they clothe themselves with violence. Here they are, they're violent people. Here the psalmist is, is envying them. For their callous heart comes, uh, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. And they're arrogant. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, peop- their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? And this is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They increase in wealth. And I think that's a great temptation when we look at the wicked, evil people. We think, you know, why can't we be like them? Carefree, wealthy. And uh, the great temptation is there, isn't it? It's highlighted there, right? Uh, people, there are people, uh, could be people who, not their followers, but people who turn to them. They say, well, you know, God won't know if I act like this. How will God know if I'm like this? And I've seen many Christian people who have turned out like this. They envy the violent, the wicked, and they themselves turn out to be, uh, you know, living that sort of life. Have you ever been out with Christians before? And I remember being with some Christians before. And they're really rude and, and uh, quite bullies to the waiter or to other people. Have you been with people like that? I feel very sad when I see that. Or the way that they act in the office, uh, you know, instead of treating people with respect, they sort of bully them. And the great temptation is to do that too. I remember I felt like that too when I was at work. In fact, one Christian uh, girl came and told me off once. She said, you know, you're becoming a bully like everybody else. Because you know why? When you're a bully, you don't have to. You get your stuff done first, right? When you threaten people. So the, the person has eight priorities and you want to push yours to number one. How do you do it? You don't bribe them with money. You bully them, right? But that's not the way to do it. And from verse 32 to 35, uh, what happens if you live this way is your relationship with God is broken. If you don't trust God, you don't acknowledge Him, He will detest you, your curse, He will curse you, He will mock you, and He will hold you up to shame. In verse 33 to 35, I'm not going to read it, you can look at it yourself, there are six uh, descriptions of people, three are negative and three are positive, the wicked, the mocker, the fool. All these people will lose their relationship with God. But the righteous, the humble, and the wise, God will guard. So is God's wisdom good? It is very, very good. God's wisdom is not just for the life to come, right? You don't just say, okay, I will do God, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do, God, only because of eternal life. Well, the book of Proverbs says, God's wisdom is good for this life and the life to come. Come. God's wisdom is good for relationships here and now, not just with God in the future. God's wisdom is good not just for earth, heavenly rewards, but also for earthly rewards. I think we sang a song 
many years, uh, I mean, many weeks ago, God is good, right? I think the children say God is good all the time. God's wisdom is good for us all the time. This uh, American pastor, Dale Davis, gave this illustration. Uh, and he said that in America, you know, in America, they always believe in independence. It's very important to be independent, independent in America, right? Individualism. So apparently in America, this will never happen in Singapore, somebody came out with the idea, look, in school, right, it is very oppressive and constricting and uh, it's just very restricting the people to put all these fences around the school. Why don't we liberate the school children and take away all the fences? Maybe it's more loving to them. So, okay, why don't we try that? So we went, they went to school, took away all the fences. Then what happened? Obviously it didn't work, right? Because some of the children run onto the road. Right? And then the rest of the kids would be like, uh, where, where exactly is our safe area? Right? Maybe we should just stay very close to the school. See, actually, living a life where you don't know where the boundaries are is actually not loving at all. It's very confusing. Right? It, it, it is not a restrictive thing. It's actually liberating to know where the safe area is. And I think that's the same thing in our relationship to God. God does not give us rules because He wants to restrict us. He wants to you know, make us feel uncomfortable and you know, He only wants bad for us. No. He's given us this way to live so that we will live lives to the full. We will have good lives, long lives, prosperous lives, healthy lives, good relationships. You know, many times people come to me and say, oh, why, you know, God wants me to do this. It's so unfair. But she knows God's not unfair at all. This is good for you. He knows it's good for you. So we have to Recognize that's what the way of wisdom is. It doesn't just have benefits in the world to come, but also in the world today. So truly, as we reflect on the way of wisdom, really come back to the most, one of the most famous verses in the book of Proverbs. Right? Is that you? Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? Right. If you reflect on what it really means, do you trust in, your, in, in God with all your heart and lean on your own understanding? Because God knows what is best and God wants what is best for you. You just have to trust Him. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, help us to see that following your way, following your words, your wisdom, is good. It is, it is for our good that if we could only trust you and follow you, if we could only acknowledge you in all our ways, there is great blessing for us in this life. Health, relationships, prosperity, peace. Our sleep will be sweet, it says. Help us to truly trust in that, dear Father. And help us to see that even beyond that, the tree of life is for those who walk in this path. Let us not be wise in our own eyes, dear Father. We know that often we want to be wise in our own eyes and not do what you want us to do. But help us to truly acknowledge you in all our ways. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.